Welcome to the Talk and Shed Podcast with your host, Adam Finney, where we talk all things farm equipment. Tune in as we interview farmers, industry leaders, and talk about our own dealership story. Follow along as we talk about topics like cover crops, nutrient placement, and things that make your farm and every farm across the country different. You're listening to the Talk and Shed Podcast, and thank you for tuning in. Well, guys, thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Talk and Shed Podcast. I'm Adam Fennig. And I'm Cody Sisko. And I'm Greg Souter. And today we are down here at the Louisville Farm Show, and uh, you can probably hear some beeping in the background and uh, stuff like that. Everyone's moving in at the farm show. But, uh, Greg, pleasure to have you on with us on the podcast. Well, I'm honored to be part of it. You know, it's... uh... All of us in agriculture are always saying, what can we do to help others take the next steps ahead? So this is exciting that you folks are doing this kind of educational programming. Yeah, we enjoy it. You know, of course, we do the YouTube videos, but growers are always hungry for content, Mm -hmm. whether it's on Twitter, Instagram. Guys are always hungry for more and more content. I think the podcast shows a backside story. You know, they're going to be here at the show and they're going to see everything. But what got us here? And, sure. and where was the beginning? Sure. So, um, Greg, how long have you been in Louisville this week? Well, we the team come in last Tuesday. You know, so it's, it's a good three days ahead of the show. Thursday morning, we're the first ones in because in the room here, we're bringing larger equipment. We've got an 8R, uh, you know, in here, 410, and, of course, the rain unit, which is pushing all the parameters. The <laughs> ceiling in here is 16 feet, and we're 16 feet, so flattened tires and uh-huh. got it in and then of course everybody out in front of you starts building their aisles full so right so at eight o'clock thursday morning they open the doors we're in first and uh, it goes really well great team three of my family come down every year just to you know help dad make sure i stay home i'm chorn and stay at the business at home right and, uh, so that way i got a good feel what's going on down here and then we came in usually on monday morning monday noon and Right. From there on until next Sunday, we're all boots on the ground. Yeah. It's it's a tremendous show. It's unmatched. Uh, right. You know, and this show probably wouldn't have to be on a Saturday from the standpoint of growers. So we're going to talk to top drawer growers all from Wednesday through Friday evening. Right. And then Saturday is more, and the championship tractor pulls are on there. So yep. it's, it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. Without the tractor pulls, this show would be somewhat diminished i think so it brings in quality from all over the country so those first three days are just dynamite and then saturday it's a little more relaxed and it's good to get folks from town and the suburbs to come in and talk about farming you know they're just curious what is this and what's it doing they watch the videos right Uh, we do a lot on on screens and and just showing the different technologies so it's uh I love it. The show life is, is unique. You know, I always say you got about 30 seconds to get your point across to someone moving down the aisle. And if you can, if you can get them to stop and start to build around a conversation about their operation, then you really start to challenge and, and help and, and start to get them thinking. Every operation, I just say this, if, if you've been sitting still for the last 10 years, I'm worried for you because things don't stop. Right. Just look at this year, for example, what the inputs have done. It's it's unmatched. At the same time, for our own family farm in central Illinois, by far the without question the most profitable year we've ever had. Yeah. Now, 
we were fortunate we get a lot of our inputs bought ahead so we're going to do really well this year too yeah the, the prices are just unmatched I, I just absolutely love it um so we'll see um but it's a time to be really on your game right and, and you need to be understanding what things you need to purchase i often tell growers if you don't see it at this building i don't know how many acres you think this is but if you don't see it here you probably don't need it <laughs> so how do how do you as let's just say you're a young grower 30 years of age and you're really making a difference in your operation how do you decide which technologies do i adapt and bring in and that's the challenge and it's something i absolutely love the farming's what drives us for me, in the early days of precision, it was always about the farm's my first love. I mean, I love running planters almost as much as I like running combines. Yeah. But uh, the planter drives it all to start, and then, of course, running the combine. I'm always in one of the combines. Uh, we run three different machines, and, and so I'm always the first one out. I'm so fortunate. But I get to see what yields are doing, what whether it's corner beans or whether we're cutting some wheat. We don't do much wheat. Yep. But uh, so... So it's good. So the show like this has a tremendous impact. It's, uh, and I'm excited this year. We got brand new technology here. We'll talk about it throughout this right. this podcast. But it's it's things that need to happen to take us to the next level. You and I can't control input cost. Well, we, we can we can buy ahead and manage the cost somewhat that year. Right. But we don't have control of it. Right. And you and you see that with the different fertilizer costs and chemical costs. We don't really control the Chicago Board of Trade. I mean, we can do a great job of marketing. All of us have our own techniques and advisors. But when it comes to our operation and how we manage and position ourselves for maximum yields, that we do control. Mm -hmm. And I often tell growers, get your costs as low as you can, do the best job you possibly can selling, but really focus on how you manage your farm and your systems approach to maximize yields. Right. Because it doesn't take much extra yield to pay for the extra inputs. Yeah. And if you and I can raise 10 or 15 extra bushel, wow. And so, yes, environment has a huge part to play in every part. Wherever you farm in this nation, uh, environment has a huge part. But is your systems approach weatherproof? And that's something you really got to think about. Right. You know, how how do you have your, if, if you go three weeks without rain, if you have extreme heat or if you start out really, really wet, you know. So all those things encompass a successful year. And I think most of us without question had a really good year last year. Right. I've talked to a lot of growers across the country that have told me the same thing. Record profits last year. How can we duplicate that? Not only uh, with what Mother Nature brought us, but uh, you know, with the planner, how can we set that up for success? But um, back to the show, I really enjoy the broad uh, swath that this show covers. I mean, I'll talk to guys tomorrow from here in Kentucky, back home in Ohio, and down south. Absolutely. It's a phenomenal show. And as you keep coming back every year, as you know, you meet those guys that were here last year. That's right. That, that you sold them 360 tanks, and they come yeah. back and say, man, those They're ready to take awesome. the next step. You know, maybe, right. maybe they start at wide drop. And right. now they're adding technology to the planner, whether that's the new closing system of Wave or, or the Bandits. And, uh, and, and I think all of us as businessmen, we try to, whatever the environment is around us, so let's just be honest about it. The high cost of fertilizer is something that's really driving our sales. It is. Now, I don't like that because obviously I farm. But I am excited to raise my hand 
and tell growers that are struggling with input costs, say, hey, we have an answer for that. Right. Let's ban nutrients. You yeah. and I know if we're banding nutrients, that's 2x the value of broadcast. So if you're a once and done guy, you know, putting it all on in the, you know, the previous fall, then you have to stop and start to think about what other things could I do possibly to use less or just to drive yields higher. And uh, right. so, and we get these kind of moments, we don't like it that the costs are high, but then that's a time as you and I as growers or business in the ag side say, hey, here's an alternative. So you have to be willing to look at that. Right, no doubt. Now, I, let's back up a little bit to the days of precision. Sure. Of, of course, uh, where the business is today and where it was when, when you sure. started it. Um, what, what drove you to do that? And, and let's talk about that before we get into 360. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, so here we are, farm family. We got three little kids. Of course, we got seven children now, but at that time we had three little kids and Cindy and I were just starting a farm on our own. We come out of a larger family uh, corporation and we started farming on our own and, and we just, and we were doing livestock, doing the hog thing. And I'll just be honest with you, it flat out wasn't working. Yeah. And you know, I remember those days, now you're showing my age, but our interest at the bank was 20%. So you realize every dollar I made, 20 cents of that went to the banker. And there was a year shortly after we married, we had some kids that I didn't pay it off. And I was super concerned. I mean, I wasn't sleeping. And I talked to the banker, said, you're doing fantastic compared to everyone else. I said, what's that mean? You know, I carried over $20,000 on a line of credit. And I didn't see any any change in the next three to four years. I told Cindy, this is not working for me. And at the same time, we were always on the jagged edge uh, on the farming side. And, and so we started doing 20 inch corn. That was in 93. I started planting corn and beans in 20s, and there was no 20-inch equipment at that time. So built my own corn head, built my own planter, built my own row cultivator, side dress bar, changed all the tractor spacing, bought 12-inch tires, you wow. know, the 1254s, and uh, and I started to see quite a difference. We were trying to drive ear count, and so we were planting, you know, in that 28 to 32,000. The minute I went to 20s, I could raise my ear count by 4,000 an acre. Okay. So I saw the response. But the minute I did that, the planter started misperforming. Those are the days before vacuum planters, right at the stage where the 7,200 vacs were coming in. So I had a finger planter, was not singulating. That slow rotation of fingers, it was skipping. Yep. And I knew it. I could see it in the monitor, and I was just going crazy. And Dad said, are you ever going to plant any corn? Because I'd stop in the end rows. <laughs> I had a hydraulic drive, so I could run a thousands of an acre, and I could count seeds out of every row. And I said, Dad, these fingers aren't working right. So I started tricking meters. And at the same time, I bought an SI distributing test stand, and they sold them only to John Deere dealers. And I called them up and said, I want one. They said, well, are you a John Deere dealer? And I said, no. And uh, I said, I want to trick meters into performing better. And they said, oh, no, 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 that's not why we have test stands. They said, we have test stands to sell parts. I said, well, I get that. So we got one. And immediately, that opened the door to where we could test and perform. So I could sit in the shop and just run different seeds on different styles of meters and start to fine tune them. And I saw a dramatic difference. So in that year, that winter of 93, I started to put my shingle out and started talking to neighborhood farmers saying, hey, I'll, I'll test your, bring your corn, I'll test your planters. And next thing I knew, I had 600 meters laying on the shop floor. And I mean, I, I was in a panic. 
I was by myself. <laughs> so I started hiring some young farmers around me to come in in the winter and start it. And that was precision planning in the early days. Okay. At the same time, Pioneer walked in, of course, from uh, out in Iowa. And uh, they brought some of their head people, and they said, we want to see what this thing is about the planter. They said, we know planters are costing us performance on our genetics, and we want to know how we fine-tune them. I said, sure. Started showing them all the inside stuff. And they said, would you sell us test stands? I said, sure. And so we wrote an agreement for five years, and they guaranteed so many test stands, and it was phenomenal. I mean, it took Cindy and I to another whole paradigm in our business world. It's just one of those things. The good Lord had a hand in all of it, obviously. We were so blessed. So at that point, and here they write me a check for a, a large number of these test stands, and I started testing their professional salespeople. How do you fine-tune vacuum meters, finger meters, white planters across the board for their genetics? Yep. And that started us in, and that just drove it. Well, it got really interesting. Um, we started doing so many meters through our organization so that first year we had about 100 test stands out. Well, we took all the backing plates and the rubber belts and the fingers out of deer supply. We sold so many. And I got a call from deer and they said, what is going on? And I just smiled. And uh, so when we were selling Kinsey parts and deer parts and both companies were really getting concerned because we were selling so much. I'm talking over a million dollars of parts just rolling through. Yeah. And they said, uh, we're stopping this game. Best thing that ever happened to me, Adam. And, and Cody, when they stopped me, it forced me to rethink what's my supply chain. And so mm -hmm. at that stage, I hired my first engineer, and we started reproducing and building. As obviously you start reproducing, you start changing all the things you didn't like about them. Yep, improving. And so we took, I remember... We built our first finger, and uh, and Cindy was very involved. And as a young farm family, you don't know hours. And right. we just worked day and night, and we had these test stands so we could tell exactly what the performance was of what we were designing. And uh, we had a problem finger, just would not plant seed the way we wanted it. And I'll never forget, we come in at 1 o'clock at night. The kids were in bed. We had gone in and put them to sleep. And we come in the kitchen counter, there was some Play-Doh there on the kitchen island. And Cindy took that finger and we started playing the Play-Doh and we started making impressions of it. We were looking at the shape of it. We figured out what we needed to do and we built a finger that was unmatched. And it was just, by the, like I said, the grace of God. It was amazing. And we reproduced that finger and that thing, you talk about a dog that would hunt, that thing would plant anything. So that was the first precision finger. So we started building finger sets. We started building different spring tensions. And those were the early days. And always oh, it fun. And uh, of course, at that same time, we figured out the vacuum side. And uh, right. and I said, it, no reason why we wouldn't build a different back meter. We just knew the things that, that were needing to be done. And uh, so that's where, you know, ESET at that time come out. And of course, it's just an evolution. You start hiring people, and, uh, and it was straight up. I had three engineers out the gate. And it wasn't long in my lands. You know, we had 16 to 20. And, right. uh, of course, we were a family that worked together since we were doing all the shows. We homeschooled all those kids, and Cindy would travel with me. We'd go two, three weeks at a time from home, and uh, kids wow. would be with us. We'd be in the motel school, and I'd be at the show working 
I remember the early days we were selling Keaton seed firmers here. I'd be by myself in the booth. And we were selling firmers out of the booth. And the guys would come by, we'd have a line. They'd be lined up waiting to talk to me to buy firmers. Wow. And a guy said, Is we selling pork chop sandwiches here or what? <laughs> I said, No, we're selling Keaton seed firmers. And we would just run the tape gun and we would tape up twelve and hand it the guy, he'd hand me three hundred dollars and hand the next guy, you know, whatever he needed. It uh -huh. was just and the family was all little kids were all around us and they were taping firmers and so those were the days. I look back on it and I smile. And those are the days we put in that built the business where it went. And right. so it just grew. And there's an evolution in it. And, uh, and venting is the coolest thing in the world. You just find out, it's so true what Thomas Edison says, you make a thousand failures and then you try for a thousand and one. Right. And you just keep going. And, uh, and were we perfect at precision playing? No, we made mistakes. My, um, I remember we first got into software our first uh, row flow in that first year, we had some bugs. You know, that was a scary thing. So we had had put out some prototypes. I don't know how many planters we had out, maybe 100 planters around the country. Okay. And we had a software problem. And all of a sudden the phone lit up and planters wouldn't plant. Mm. Now it's not like you could drop the chain on and we'll drive it again. Right. We took all that off. And so there was about 24 hours there where there was all hands on deck, all of our software team. And we figured it out. Uh, not fun. Uh, you, you, you just, you can see I don't have a lot of hair. It's gray. <laughs> and it, that, but it's what makes your business. Uh, it's how we treated customers through those hard times. It's how you do warranty. You know, I remember over the years, we'd sell things. You'd get a call and say, Greg, you know, I have this part broke. And you just listen to the grower. And you know so well, Adam. Right. There was something unusually done. Yeah. You know, we, there was a time we were selling these vertical tillage arrows. I had a guy call me and he said, I, I broke the hitch off of it. I said, you broke the hitch? It was built heavy. I said, you broke the hitch off of it. Man, I could got in a truck. We sent a welder out. We fixed it all up. A year later, I'm at a farm show and a guy says, hey, you remember a time and my neighbor had your hair on. They broke the hitch. He said, uh, you ever hear what happened there? And I said, no, what did happen? He said, well, I was watching. He said he went crazy through a mud hole for track tractor. And he got that thing stuck, so he pulled the pin and got it out. He took the cable, and he got exactly perpendicular to it. He couldn't get it out forward, so they got perpendicular to the heavy cable, and they drug it out from the side. So in other words, they spun it. And he said, I was watching. They tore the hitch right off of that thing, that big track tractor. And I, said, I just smiled. But you know what? <laughs> That guy that I fixed that hitch sold me more heroes and product yeah. than anybody. Right. At the time, I knew in my heart, oh, come on, how could it have broke? You just, you just take care of it. Right. And when you treat people like you like to be treated, your business grows. And we figured it out early, Cindy and I. And so we didn't ask a lot of questions. We just warned each stuff. Yeah. And you just try to make it right. That doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. And you got right. people unhappy, but you take care of them. And so all those years, it was just a proving grounds for Cindy and I. How do you how do you do a business? We didn't know we were here a farm couple that was raising hogs and farming, and all of a sudden now we're in business. Yep. But we just we hired the best uh, people. I said, where'd you get these engineers? Of course, you realize where we're located. I'm only 20 miles from Caterpillar. Yep. And probably 100 miles from Deer and Moline. So we would suck out a special type of engineer he's usually five years in that corporation he didn't fit the corporate mold 
you know. Yep. We have a name for it. It's called eSpeed, Entrepreneur Speed. Entrepreneur Speed is where you design, build, test, and start to sell in one year. Now, there's risk. But there's a formulation that you can do that, and it means you know how to test things. It means you have confidence in your design team. You rapid prototype everything. You know, you think of what 3D printers have done for us. You know, you take mm. our chain roll and the corn heads. We build all that on 3D printers. We were running corn stalks through that. You wow. take our ripper point. We were building those overnight with 3D printer. We could put them in the ground, and we would rip 12 inches deep, and we could go 100 feet before that point would break. Mm. Now, it would obviously break at 100 feet. Right. But <laughs> what you could see in the first 50 feet is exactly, are we going the right way? Right. And so it just versus it would have taken you three weeks to a month to have somebody build you a steel point mm -hmm. that you'd throw away if in 50 feet. Exactly. Yep. So we just lived in the perfect time. I see. The technology fit the while we wanted to design. So C-Speed, which is corporation speed, and E-Speed are radically different. <laughs> Deer is a corporation speed. Right. And mm -hmm. I get it totally. Oh, yeah. They test things for four years. So when the front wheel of the sprayer falls off due to bearing failure, they already know what's going to happen. So they have to. I get that. But what happens, their worst nightmare is a company like Precision Planner 360, where you have those of us that are willing to live on the jagged edge, take risk, and we're all about the grower. We're just saying, we need this technology. How fast can we get it out? And how can we make it cheaper? And, and who's going to sell it? And so we built this network at Precision, I had 800 dealers, basically worldwide, and they were all like us. They were just farmers and seed salesmen and equipment salespeople, John Deere dealers, case dealers, and they were just saying, we want to represent the farmer the best that we can to help him be more profitable. They had so e speed as well. That just drove it. Yeah. And so it was fun. And it, <clears throat> uh, it, it was amazing. Um, so we had grown it. Oh, I probably had 200 and some people working at Precision. 120 would be in full time, and there's another 100 just come in. They were farmers. They just come in the winter time. The only expense they had was their gas, the pickup, and a, and a lunchbox. And they would start right after harvest, and then about the first day of planting, they'd disappear. Yeah. But we had a great team underneath us that could keep it going, and that was just tremendously successful for us. So. We always were surrounded by the very best, without yeah. question. Yeah. So they were family. I mean, we knew, I shouldn't say we knew them all personally, but we knew a lot of them personally. Yeah. I knew their kids. I knew when their, him and their wife were having, you know, whatever it was. They, she was sick. You knew it. And right. It's no different probably than you. I, could, I don't know how many. I should know more about all your stores. I'm going to guess you have multiple stores. Uh, <laughs> Two. 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 Yeah. And so, and you know your guys. You know when they're having a good day and a bad day, and that's just what makes life really good. So we developed this culture that was unique. And so we drew those young engineers into us because I would tell them, if you want to work with us, we'll pay, we can match your pay. We can match benefits at Caterpillar because they were super talented. But I said, if you want to do something from the drawing board, on the whiteboard, a concept, all the way to building it, testing it, designing it, finish it, and then go to a farm show and talk to growers that are going to use it. Yep. You come on our, come and work with us. And so they did. And that talent pool is what made us different. So Tim and I, we come up with these crazy far-fetched ideas. 
you know, I remember um, I hired this young man from Caterpillar, and Mike was his first name. Tremendous guy. Didn't know him. And I was building the first Delta Force. And so I had built this 18-row 20 planner, and we had all this technology on it. And we had a laptop in the cab of me, and I was driving a cat tractor at that time. It's a 765 two-track. And here's Mike. The first day he comes to work, he's sitting beside me in the tractor all day. And I've never met him. Well, I've met him at the interview. So Mike's sitting there, and in and the software we designed, he had a keyboard, and we could control that planner on the sensitivity of the downforce. So sitting on the end rows, it looked like a border collie ready to go. And it would just be trembling. The row units would just be lightly flickering. I'd say, no, no, Mike, turn it down. Turn down sensitivity. And we'd turn out, and we'd make a pass. And we'd dig behind it. We'd watch it. We had a... You know, we could print out exactly what happened in that past. We could follow all the data and say, no, 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 we're too, we're too sensitive, and we'd turn it down. And we did that all spring. Well, believe me, by the time that spring got done, Mike and I were best buds. <laughs> you know, it just, because when his wife called, I could hear her. <laughs> we're sitting literally six inches apart right. for the whole day. And uh, <laughs> I remember one time he gets his call, and I could tell. It was just like, and they're a tremendous young couple, and they had... Uh, they had adopted this little guy and it was one of those hard luck stories you know and i could hear mike's like well i don't know hon where would we put him and i don't know and he hangs up and it's silent because i'm not going to interfere right so we're riding for about a round and he's working on the keyboard and we're pretty soon he goes oh she goes they called they got three little kids they want to bring tomorrow morning You think he goes? I don't know. I don't know what to think. I don't think we got enough beds, you know. And I'm just, and that's just what it was. That's just how we lived. And um, of course, that's that went super that year. And and still to date, you know, I look at Delta Force. There was no question in my mind it was going to be one of the all-star products. I just knew what a problem we had with planners. Yeah. And we just we worked and worked and worked till we got it to where it is today. And it, what the cool thing is, any good product should seem really simple and should be really easy to use. It shouldn't be like going to the moon. Right. You know? And that's one of those products. Mm-hmm. It, it is. It's yeah. not like Keaton seed firmers. You yeah. Know? It, it's so simple. It simply works. What we used to have on the tagline, it should be that way. If it's really super complicated, guys, yeah. we probably need to go back to the drawing board. Right. Now, software and, you know, now we're autonomous, for example, with the rain unit here. Mm-hmm. It runs on its own, and, and that's a whole new thing that keeps Greg awake at night, but those are <laughs> those are things that the era we're living in, and there's a reason why you do that. Um, so it, it's, but it's always about the people you got around us. Yeah. I don't know. You, I can tell by looking at you, got a lot of energy. You could be stay up 24 seven. You're not going to get it all done without having a Cody and a Bill and a George and a Fred and a Joe, Joe right. all around you. Right. And so through the years, we need to give credit where credit's due. So that was the era of precision planning. And then one day he walks in Monsanto and, you know, we didn't know what they wanted. They called and Tim and I were joking. And I said, oh, you know, you know, they probably want to buy us. Tim's like, oh, never, you know. And so they walk in and they want to buy us. I remember coming home that night to dairy. So we dairy and Cindy's very active with there's kids in our family that are on the dairy full time. And then there's some on the farm. There's some in the business. I remember coming home that night about 5.30, and I walked in the show barn. We have a show string, and she was in there working on cows, and she said, oh, let me guess, they want to buy you. 
<laughs> laughed and said, yeah. She stopped, looked, said, they do. And I said, but that's not going to happen. I just said, uh, it, we're just not for sale. And so for the next year and a half, you know, all those conversations took place. And, and it finally come pretty apparent that that was the best thing to do because I felt like it was the best thing for farmers. It wasn't the best thing for Greg and his family, no question, because I knew how much we would miss it. And I knew it would change forever the culture. You know, right. You know, one of the first things you say is, you know, there no, we're not even ashamed of bet. We're a Christian organization. And so when the farmers come, and we'd have a meeting, we'd pray before the meal. We just always did because that's what we do in the house. And so why would I do it any different just because I have 500 guys there? doesn't mean we wouldn't say a prayer of the Lord. So there was this uncomfortable conversation, you know, and all this where one of those in the corporation said, well, you realize, you know, if this transaction takes place, we can no longer have prayers. Yeah. I looked at him, I said, well, I got news for you. That won't change. <laughs> you just don't know who we are. Right. You know, I don't care what somebody in Washington says or what rules have been made. We know that God controls it all and holds it in the, the prayer all of our hands. So those are just the interesting things that happened. So as that all went through and we, you know, we finally made it public, and uh, that was hard. Uh, you know, I get that question all the time, would you do it again? And I just stay out of that paradigm because I don't know how you answer it. Right. Um, it was for the right reasons. And what I really believed was with our technology and their plant breeders, I really believed with what we knew at that time of field view, what we had on the iPad and with all the technology we had, and we had built the perfect planter at that time. Now, they found out about it after they started talking to us, you know, and we actually had them built. Uh, that never happened. I'm sure those planters are somewhere, some back shed somewhere, but it was an amazing technology. I've never seen a planter like it. What we basically did is we just said, let's take everything we don't like about corn planting and make the perfect machine. And so for a year, and it looked just like a deer, uh, I had a 60-foot planter with all this technology on it. And uh, it was amazing. Um, and it, it hurts me to think that it's buried somewhere, but all those patents are obviously are there. So someday right. somebody could probably resurrect it again. Huh. But, uh, but you know, we had a planter that could go 15 mile an hour if we needed to. Well, wow. We could plant that fast. And this was when? This was right when they started, right before the speed tube and all that was in its early emphases, uh, right before they bought us. And so when they started whining and dining us and talking to us about all the things they had, you know, they went and... Uh, we had a special field that was totally hid, and they saw us planting 12 mile an hour, and they couldn't believe it. And they were digging behind it. They said, we've never seen anything like this. Of course, it was because of speed tube and delta force. So all those things that are out there was in this new planter technology because we knew what it took to make it hunt. And so V-set and hydraulic drives and all the electric motors and all that stuff was in, and a lot of intelligence was all driven through the iPad at that time. So... That would have been in 2009, 2010. There was three years in there we designed all that technology. And then well, when we finally, they were there in 2011, that would become public in 2012. So it was when we actually, as our family, we stepped aside and they took it. It was a 2012 era. I see. So, I and see. so and since then, of course, it took a little bit. There was a little bit of leeway in there, transition. We were helping them. And then... Uh, I wasn't going to be out of ag. Of course, you can imagine there's all kinds of non-competes and oh, yeah. all kinds of things. And I thought, well, maybe we'll get and become like Adam. Maybe we'll sell farm equipment. You know, so we explored different things. But I just could not stay away from the inventing side of agriculture. So mm -hmm. 
so that's when the that's when the Y drop and all the things that you saw early on, you know, the cornhead stuff, the ripper points, all the things that were driving me crazy, all of a sudden I had time to do. Because uh-huh. before I'd tell our guys, you know, I want to fix the ripper. They'd say, Dad, we're planner guys. What are you doing? We're not doing ripper points. Mm-hmm. I said, but the ripper point needs to be fixed. It's driving me crazy. And I said, we could do so much better job, but we just had a right point, you know, and, and the cornhead was driving me crazy. I'd go out and we'd, you know, we were running deer combines, obviously. And I'd back the combine up, you know, 30 feet. Of course, we knew how to set the box. I could never figure out even the hydraulic set plates. I could never stop the head loss. Drove me nuts. Look up in the front, and we were like, <laughs> but we'd say, well, that's come from the head. Then that's somehow, when we were setting combines that day, if it came from the head, we were just supposed to be okay with it because there was no answer, <laughs> right? Right. So we just like, well, that came from the head. Now let's get a serious on this box setting, you know. And well, we were tweaking sieves and, you know, rotor speed and cylinder concaves, and we were doing all that. Felt like we kind of knew how to set a combine. So we kind of just live with that. And so that's when we started saying, well, now we can play in that. Yeah. So, you know, we started hiring, uh, obviously, new engineers. <laughs> <laughs> I brought some people with me. I had wrote it in, and uh, I said there's a certain group that are just their family, actually, you know, cousins and relatives. I said they're coming with me. Yeah. Several of my actual family, my brothers and my sister-in-law stayed and still are at Precision. So it, uh, that worked out really well for them. So it just, so starting, we thought, well, starting a new company shouldn't be that hard, right? Right. Wow. I had no idea how difficult it would be to start over. Um, hmm. it, you got a whole new team. And, but at the same point, they were telling it. The new team we got were really good guys. It's just really hard. Yeah. It is. I, I was – I underestimated the effort it would take for Cindy and I and our family. And, I mean, the hours that we put in. And slowly but surely then 360 started to develop. Of course, we love farming. You know, we, we farm – we have ground in Louisiana and ground in Texas, which is really good for us because it gives us a different look. At different soils, different crops, um, different irrigation concepts, so it, it helps broaden your knowledge. But mainly at home, we just start to focus on building from scratch again and staying out of the planter world. For those five years, we didn't even, I wanted to be true to what we signed. We just didn't think about it. Now, when they got closer to that magical day, which was June 21st. <laughs> <laughs> How do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Tim and I, I mean, that, that day we had a special meeting for leadership team, and I said, here's the things that we're going to work on in the planner world. And, and so Tim had worked about a year of Monsanto, my oldest son, and he had started with me. He, so he had graduated from college by the time he was 16, being homeschooled. And so at 16, he walked into R&D, and he started managing the R&D department for us. And that was the bridge we needed because at the supper table – we'd hear everything that was going on at Precision in the R&D team. Mm-hmm. I was in the mar- marketing and educational side, and, but I was there always. But, so that really helped as we put our own family in different positions, and, and, uh, and they were gracious. You know, engineers that are 50 years old, here they had a partner beside them that's 16, 17. Technically, their boss never stated that way. Right. But they, had, but they knew him from little on up, so it worked really well. 
and we made it work by treating them like they are special and they were just no different than our family and that's if you treat them that way that's what you get back yeah and so it, it worked out well at 360 there's risk of very few of us but we got it rolling and um we we put the hours in we needed to and we started bringing out the new products, you know, the, the old saver and the corn head, the chain roll underneath, and, you know, the ripper point. So that was kind of our, because I always said I'd like to have a fall product lineup and a spring product lineup. I felt yeah. like that would really be good for our production people to keep things rolling, our supply chain. Yep. You know, you always build good relationships with fabricators, and, you know, now we had stuff that we could keep going. And, and we knew the outside world kind of who was good at building things. So, so it worked out really well, and we just kept driving in of course without question wide drop was the all-star right i mean and it only makes sense when you have technology where you can position at the right time of the growing season the right amount at the right place yep you put those three things together and a lot of growers when they first saw wide drop they said oh wait a minute greg we're going to put nitrogen on top of the ground sure yep we absolutely are Right next to the root, yep, right next to the root. Well, you think about a corn plant and where that 8-inch circumference is yep. of all those feeder roots. And, you know, even in a dry stretch, it doesn't take a very heavy dew. And you can see a mud ring around a plant. All those leaves bring that dew down in the morning. And they'll make, I've seen a three, you know, three hundredths of an inch of rain make a wet circle four inches around a plant. Oh, yeah. And so that nitrogen moved down, and we started to see quite a response just where it made sense to me instead of putting it all on out front and hoping Mother Nature worked, now we could wait. I love waiting. So, of course, we could put some nitrogen out front. Now we go through all of May, all of June, and about June 25th to July 4th, now we could come in and put just what we needed to finish the race. Right. So at the same time, we designed soil scan. We found some technology that said we could take, you know, parts for nitrogen. We could see what the nitrates are. And, and so we started developing all that. And uh, I just love knowledge. I say you make a lot less mistakes if you get more information. Right. So that whole trail, of course, and you said, well, if we're building them for sprayers, why wouldn't we build them for side dress bars? Yep. And it works. And... Uh, you know, a lot of guys, they say, well, you know, Greg, I like putting it in the center of the row two inches deep. I understand that. But in a dry spell, two inches in the row, in the center of a 30-inch row, in dry soil, that's where it stays for a long time. Yes. And as nitrogen moves down through the soil, it takes a long time for it to, for a root to get to it in the center where if you put it right next to the plant... And so we, we'd see that six-bushel difference on all kinds of trials. And guys say, really, I can't. I wouldn't have believed it if I wouldn't have done it myself. And so just with patience and trial and error, we would do it. And, of course, we always did large summer conferences, and, and they're fun. They're craziness. Uh, you know, Cindy and the girls would make the food, you know, help with food, and we'd do all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, you know, I, I've been out there. They're phenomenal. You know, it, it's just fun. And, and we try to harvest corn, um, you know, in August 1st, and we'd be harvesting corn. August 10th, we'd try to have corn to harvest. Well, we figured out quickly you got to learn how to salt corn. So we would plant 90 and 85-day corn, and then about 21 days before the conference, I'd start salting. And we'd just kill it. Yep. And uh, 
And I remember the Farm Progress show people come to us, and I know them, of course, Matt, and the guys are tremendous people. And uh, they said, well, we want to make our show August 31st, the first week in September, but we got to harvest deer and case and New Holland and gearing off. They want to harvest. Is it possible? I said, absolutely. You just got to learn salt corn. Well, we don't want to lose yield. I said, well, wait a minute. There's going to be a trade-off somewhere. I mean, it, you're definitely going to use yield. Right. I mean, in the seed industry, and we raise a lot of seed corn, we salt hybrids to control seed size. Absolutely. Do it all the time. No one wants a large round. Right. You know, when you tell me you got a 68-pound bag of seed, everybody's like, oh, I don't want that. And so the industry salts corn to control seed size. You just kill it early. And uh, so we did a lot with salt, and uh, we figured out how to salt soybeans. So now, all of a sudden, we were harvesting in front of farmers. We could harvest corn and soybeans, and we'd have a spot that we could do tillage. So every day, we'd harvest a strip, we'd till a strip, and we were just farming in front of them. At the same time, on the other side of the field, we're planting corn. You know, we'd have a stage. We'd have three-foot-high <laughs> corn to do side dress. And, you know, and then, of course, with our undercover, we'd have corn with disease, and we'd be putting fungicide or water in that case because they were walking it. We'd just put plain water. Yep. But we would try to say, what could we duplicate to show hands-on, real-time? I think that helps growers visualize. Realizing when they come from Ohio to Tremont, the natural defense is to say, well, this works for Greg and Tremont, Illinois. Right. But this for sure won't work at Defiance, Ohio. Right. We know it won't. Yep. Or pick Fort Wayne, Indiana or, you know, Ontario. And so once you could get them through that, because I don't care where corn grows, you know, we have a t- ton of customers in Ukraine, and I'm talking good growers. These guys know how to farm. And uh, I feel for them. I just did a meeting for them. So we do meetings for Ukraine. It starts at 6 o'clock, and that's 3 o'clock their time, you know. So we start at 6 a.m. in the morning, and we present to them. And I just did it the other day. And Russia's on their border, you know, and I'm talking to them through a translator. I don't know Ukrainian. And um, so I asked them at the end of a meeting. We did a three-hour meeting with them. At the end, I said, so share with me. The media, I get a one perception. And, of course, these are farmers now. Yep. And these guys are big, and they're typical just what you think a group of farmers would look like. There's 150 of them there. And they laughed, and they put their hands up. Ah, we're not scared. They said, if we need to fight, we'll fight. And I thought, <laughs> isn't that just what a natural human tendency would be? We're going to protect yep. what's ours. Yep. And so, you know, some of our customers over there, you know, through the Civil War era here the last three, four years, they got bulletproof glass in their John Deere tractors. And they're stray bullets that fly. They said, but they don't ever shoot at us. I asked them. When they were here, they were actually in Morton with us in, in our, at our facility. I said, is it a, is it a danger? I said, no, the, the two armies are never really concentrating on us. The scary thing is, is there stray bullets? Bullets that would, you know. So he said, we, we take protection. So, huh. so you think of those. A big farmer in Illinois looked pretty simple. Yeah. <laughs> but so worldwide, corn grows. And roots do the same thing. And ears produce the same way. And stress produce the same way. So... Everything we work on at 360 is how do we eliminate stress? Because Dave Hewlett has changed the world. He raised 602 this year, 616 a couple years ago. And the scary thing is, Adam, it's the exact same hybrid I'm planting. And it made 302 for me, and I was pretty excited. Went over 300. <laughs> and then I see that, and I say, crap, I'm only 50%. Right. 50% of where he's at. 
And so I love those guys, the National Corn Growers, because what they do is they raise the bar. And if you talk to Dave personally, he'll tell you, Greg, we will raise 800 bushel corn someday. It has that potential, because I've had growers come in and ask me, is there enough sunshine to raise 500? That was before we heard of 500 bushel corn. I'd right. say, absolutely. The Lord knows how to create. The creation's designed right. And so there's enough sunlight to grow 500 bushel corn, absolutely. And so then you and I just have to figure out, well, how do we manage all those variables? What things do we need to add to our planter, sprayer, combine, you name it? How do, how do we do that? And that's the trick. And yeah. so if you're scared to make changes, I'll never forget the Kentucky University. University of Kentucky used to send, they have a top farmers group, and they would send all these, their undergrads, send them up to Precision those days. There'd be 40 kids that would come. I call them kids. So they're past their senior year. They're undergrads in farming. And so we would talk for a day, and we'd just go through concepts of how to raise better corn. And then I'd usually go around the room and say, what's your biggest challenge? What's holding you back from taking the next step? And I'll never forget, there was a young man about the second row, and he said, my dad. I said, no, 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 no <laughs> not buying into it. I'm a dad. He said, no, no, it's my dad. He said, we're still in 40-inch rows. Mm. He, will, he thinks 30-inch rows are crazy. Of course, I'm in 20s. Right. You know, he'd have thought I'm way out of it. Right. And so I said, okay, so maybe you're right. Maybe it is your dad. You know, you're planting 24,000 in 40-inch rows. But so can you make a change? How do you, when a dad and his brother are farming and you're a young son, how do you bring concepts into that arrangement? in a way that's not combative yeah hey uncle and dad i know it all i just come from the university and i've been over to greg's meeting and he says you guys should be doing this this and this that's not how it works right you do a 10 acre block and or you do a split of 40 20 and 20 and and you do the you find out the borders you put out some 22,000 corn and you put out some 44,000 corn and something in between and, and you start challenging it, and you learn for yourself. That's the only way you can learn. you got to show it on your own soil. And so whenever we could get somebody inquisitive enough to try it, we win. Yeah. That's what it takes. Um, you know, there's, there's guys, I'm sure, back in the early days that told you auto steer wouldn't work. Well, yeah. we don't need it. <laughs> you know, I'd have been a guy that told you machine sink is not worth the money. I'm like... I got the best auger wagon drivers in the world. I've run a combine all my life. I don't need it. I can't run without it. And you say, wait a minute, Greg. What do you mean? Oh, no, they gave me a three-week trial this fall. <laughs> so, and I got a lot of different guys that get in the cart throughout the day because we've just got a crazy farming operation. There's about eight of us, and carts are running everywhere. And it took all my work out of it. Now I control the cart, and I watch a young guy on the phone, and he's not even looking. He's not looked at me the whole time I'm unloading. So I intentionally bump him up about twice and slow him down real fast. And then he looks up at me like, what's going on? Yep. You know, because it just, so I look at machine sync, that's just the next step. And so I used to laugh and they said, well, there's going to come autonomous farm equipment where you just, and I'd laugh and say, oh, I'm not so sure. No, I'm pretty sure that's probably going to happen. Yeah. You know, I, I understand the transportation thing is a big issue and we'll figure it out on the roads. But uh, so change happens. How do you and I adapt? How do we do it in a profitable way? Not just to write checks, but how do we get a return on investment? 
those are all the things that you should be asking here this week at Louisville. Look at it, say, okay, it's going to cost me this much. What I realistic think my clay soils are going to get back or my sandy knobs. And uh, most of us should be looking at what we can do to bring the lowest part of our fields up. Everybody likes to go for 350 bushel corn. Don't get me wrong. Right. We love it. How many Snapchats or how many, I can't tell you how many customers I get. All I heard all year was from the north. Greg, we're dry, we're burning up, we haven't had any rain. And all of a sudden, I'm harvesting, I look down at Jarrett from northern Wisconsin sends me a text of a video at 275 bushel. He's got, the, you know, yield sense up in the corners running and I see 275. So I immediately text him back, say, what happened to all the other texts ahead of this? <laughs> crying about how bad your crop's going to be. He said, I wouldn't have believed it if I wouldn't have seen it. So I watch it with interest. So how do you take those parts of the field that are 50 bushel behind? And maybe it's not a very big area. Let's just say it's 10 acres. How do you take it up that next 50 bushel? Because yeah. that's, where, that's where it's at. Yeah. Not, I'm, a, I'm never against raising the high peaks. Right. I mean, if I can raise 350, I'll do it in a heartbeat. Now, we don't. We don't raise 350 bushel cornfield averages. We just don't. Yeah. Um, it's hard to do. It's really hard to do. And so it's, it's just how you think about it. So our young folks that are coming into agriculture, to me, are our greatest asset. Uh, anytime I see young farmers coming to Booth, I lean in. Not that I don't like the guys that are silver-haired. I, I love them all, but... What can we do for those guys to take the next step? You'll see them, you know, they'll have a little guy in a wagon. He's got the John Deere hat on. Yep. Mm -hmm. The wife, you know, is maybe has a baby and a little three-year-old in the wagon, and they're patiently waiting on Dad as he talks to me. I would do anything to take them the next step ahead. Yeah. yeah. That's our future. There's not many of them. And, you know, and I feel for her because there's got to be mornings. So she's making scrambled eggs, and they're not always making that much money. And she has to look at him and say, so you got out of college and you could have went to work and fill in the blanks, send Jenna, Pioneer, DeKell, Monsanto, Bear, and made, without question, $75,000 to $80,000. Why are we farming with Dad? Yeah. You know, and that's a great question. Yeah. So for me, John and Mary Smith, wherever they live in Ohio, and I don't know where they live, I think of them often, what we're building today how will it help John and Mary Smith, a young couple that are 27, raise their family and take the next step ahead and buy the next farm or rent the next farm? And so that should be what we're thinking about. It should never be about how much margin are we going to make at 360 on this product. Right. Now, obviously, somebody in our company thinks about that. Right. But that shouldn't be the driving force. Right. You shouldn't be positioning a 24-row planter, Adam, into a guy unless you know in your heart it's going to take him to the next step. Hopefully, and it's craziness with the equipment the way it is, you should not have one used planter in your lot. Everybody that's raising soybeans and corn should be buying a used planter to plant beans with first. Yes. Corn planters should be poised and ready for the perfect day. But two weeks ahead of the perfect day in corn planting, he should start putting beans in. It's 10 to 12 bushel. Mm -hmm. We have proven it. I mean, I've planted beans in March that made 100 bushel. They shouldn't have. But they did. And so, and they'll say, well, Greg, you've done that for five years. One of these days you're going to get froze out. Yeah, sure. But let's be honest. There's a 
free replant. <laughs> right. So all I'm out is my fuel and that. And the meanwhile, for the last five years, I've reaped what? I've seen as much as 15 bushel to early planted beans because they pod much lower and they, and they, so those are things you gotta try. Now, dad's gonna say to you, well, what the world do you think you're doing? It just had snow on the ground last week and you smile and you say, dad, we're only gonna put in 40 acres and we're gonna try it. And then you watch it and there'll be a snow on them and you, and you think they're gonna die or they're not gonna come up, but they're ahead of the game and so Everybody should have that has enough acres should have two planters. One guy on beans, one guy ready to start corn. Yeah. So if I see a John Deere lot with planters on it, I just look at it and say, what, what, what's happened to the sales guys in that, that dealership? Don't they understand? They need to position every one of those planters out. <laughs> and there shouldn't be a planter left. Right. And so those are things that we do as business people to help take the next step. Now, that doesn't mean everybody's going to do what you say. But wow, is it fun when it works. Yeah. It, it's, it's cool. Was I talked way too long? You guys need to ask questions. Um, well, where, uh, what, what do you feel about where precision's at today? Precision planning is the day. Wow, that's a loaded question. Um, I watch you up interest. What I felt like we had gotten planners to ninety nine percent. That sounds braggy. I need to be really careful. There's potential to get a planner to ninety nine percent across the board. I told my family, I said, what are we going to add that, that extra percent to make a, a planter 100% perfect is going to take so many dollars of design and expenditure from the farmer, I don't think we'll ever make it pay. So I felt like we had come to a point where we had planters in a pretty great spot. And so maybe in the Lord's own way, he was bringing this opportunist so I would drift off into another area because <laughs> what we're looking at here where we're sitting behind it right on the other side of us is a 360 rain unit yep. and I just say this of everything I've ever designed in my life I don't know if I've ever been more excited about the potential that a 360 rain which is an autonomous watering system can bring to a farm and it's not just about water, it's about manure management, it's about nitrogen management, it's about, and, you know, fungicides and, and finding out weeds and mechanically cutting out the wrong corn plant. All the, uh, you know, we're going to land on the moon type stuff right. that happened back in, in John F. Kennedy's time. You know, we're going to put a man on the moon. And I think that's where we're at. So I think Precision's done a good job, and I'm really proud of them how they've represented all the technology that Tim and I and our team have put together, and I, I'm really excited for them. Yep. As Agco has taken them on now, and so there was this whole debacle in there where Deere announced that they had bought them, and then you know how all that goes through, all the, the outer regulation stuff, and then pretty soon all of a sudden, hey, Agco's bought them. Right. And Agco's going to do a good job with them. And, and Precision, the main business without question is OEMs. They do a tremendous amount of work with OEMs and done a great job with them. and international. Yep. I'm so proud of them how they've done that. At the same time, they're going to have to start branching out. So I watched it today announced this year at the Winter Conference, Sea and Spray and, and different technologies. And so are they an entrepreneur company anymore? I'd probably say somewhat. 
is there a parent company now that could possibly challenge them on what they're designing? I don't know. I'm not on the inside, so I watch of interest. Interest. I like having a family like ours driving 360 because there's we don't have a boss. Right. And if we fail, we pay. Yeah. Um, and we're willing to reach where other people don't dare go. And so we patent things. We're good at patenting. Tim has done it for years and years at Precision. He did all the patent work. He does it for us. But Adam and Cody, patents only do as good as how much money you got to put behind it. Right. All that is a piece of paper lets you go to front of a judge and say, Your Honor, I designed it first. And then there's this long skimmish of millions of dollars of lawyers that feed off of this. And so we just go hard and fast. Like I said, we go e-speed. Yeah. And we patent things international, worldwide. And we'll fight best we can. But I always say if you build the best and you go out and you stand behind it, and so we had trained guys at Precision. The newest technology is going to have a problem. It will. It was either software or a break. But they figured out that Greg and Cindy would always give them the next one they invented. The next year, the improvements come at no charge. So it always, we quickly turn, trained about 150 really top growers, always take, be the first in. Because they'll stand behind it. And so we've got those same growers at 360 that are jumping in. Yeah. And they say, we're not worried about it. If it's not right, Greg will make it right. And we do. And we'll fix it. And so they usually get a whole generation of product free by doing that, whether that's on the iPad or, or this example, 360 rain this year is going to be really interesting. Yeah. Um, so there's guys that are willing to take a chance with you. And that's what you need you have to cover a wide geographic area to find out all the problem spots. So we've been in Florida now for two different winters, and that's a whole different paradigm mm -hmm. down there. I mean, basically, we're on black beach sand, and we're raising corn. Mm -hmm. And shouldn't be. It shouldn't raise corn. They don't raise corn down in Florida. There's no corn fields anywhere around. They ship all their corn in from Georgia and pay double what mm -hmm. the Board of Trade is. I don't know how they're doing it now. I don't know how they're making any money on milk. I watch you with interest. So, so all this is just part of it um so we're willing to take risk as a small company we're just saying we're going to shoot for the moon and we get we're really fortunate we got a good set of engineers behind us and uh, we're going as fast as we can and what i used to call e-speed has now crept down to crawl speed due to COVID and the pandemic and uh, we basically just taken this country we've broken it so bad and adam i would have told you a month ago it's going to get better, and I'm telling you today, it's worse. Yeah. My supply chain, where it used to be, they'd tell us 24 to 30 weeks, are now saying 52. And the reason they say 52 weeks, and for those of you listening, that startles Greg when I say a year before I can get a hold of a product. I was like, what, a year? What they're really saying is they don't know. Yeah. Nobody can give me a 52-week lead time right. on a computer board. Come on. Right. You don't know that. You're right. just saying you don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. And so what it's done is it's just taking us and it's making, I was talking to a farmer the other day from Ohio by chance, and he used to be a John Deere engineer, worked out of Moline. And he said in the early days at John Deere, we would laugh and laugh at Russian farmers in communist countries. They would buy a brand new Deere tractor and they would run it till literally 
there was no life left in it. Then they would park it, and they would strip it apart. And he said, we would laugh, like, what's wrong with this country? Mm-hmm. In America, I roll combines every year. We roll tractors. This tractor, you know, it, it, it's ready to go. It's just, it's new. It's just ready to go on the planter, this yep. 8R410. And what I see is today is happening for somehow, some reason, and all you guys listen to podcasts, nod your heads, why are we wanting to take on and become just like those socialist countries where you can't get any product and you have to run old, old equipment and you have to repair your own and, and I watch it and I'm part of it now. I'm trying to buy new components to put together a brand new product and I can't get it. So I have to tell my, my supply chain guys, <laughs> we got to go elsewhere. And so we're developing new suppliers and everything, fabrication and welding and bearings and DC motors and, and computer chips and you know, we used to go to Israel. Now we're searching worldwide for it. And the other day, my engineer said we need to buy a Tesla. They found out that a Tesla car has 32 of the chips we need. I said, oh, great. We'd buy a Tesla car and strip it. <laughs> but, you know, isn't that, isn't it amazing? Yeah. So how do we change it? I don't know if I want to run for election or not. I would sure hate to be in charge of this country. But somebody's got to stand up and say we're going to change what we're doing. I saw a report the other day that the average workforce is working 32 hours a week, and that's all. That's all they want to work. Wow. Well, you just figure that out. That's one day out of five that we're missing. And that one day out of five is why my sea container out in Los Angeles Bay has been sitting there for 44 days and not been put to the dock yet. Once we unload it, it takes us 33 days to get it here by rail. Then it sits in Joliet Yard for as much as months, if it has to. Through the pandemic, we had one of all of our combine parts sitting in the rail yard up there for four months and couldn't get to it. Wow. Loaded the product we needed. So that's what's broke. we got to start from scratch. But none of us should be embracing the concept that we want to become like other countries where they don't have the latest, greatest. They don't have parts. They don't have fuel filters and oil filters and everything that we need to keep running in tires. Let, let's do the opposite. Let's say, no, no, we're going to keep what America makes us so great, and we're going to invent things and supply things. And so my hope is, and I'm an eternal optimist, is that we'll get it figured out. But uh, we're developing new supply chains and trying our best, and it's like pushing a rope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, and I don't know, maybe you can tell me, tell me that my combines are going to come in. <laughs> I, I can't do that. Um, I can tell you. Would you would like to tell me. I would like to. And you probably did two months ago. You probably told guys, training, yeah, I think we're in a good spot. I think it'll right. come in this fall. And now you're saying, well, I think it's okay. But you don't really know. No. No. Because it's all just feedback from what I'm being told. Right. The people that are telling me, they don't know. And when mm-hmm. they tell you that, Adam, they are in good faith telling you what they think they know and what they've been told. Right. And so it's things that are we just can't control i'll just say this <laughs> my three combines i still have a hold of them because i'm not sure my new three are coming in and our dealer's as good as you guys he's he's the best ever he's just saying greg count on it we will take care of you and uh, so we're going to leave those machines in your disposal well you understand what that did to that dealer those machines are getting placed to farmer number two right Farmer number two's machine's not going to farmer number three. Farmer number three's oldest machine's not going to Wisconsin. Yep. Mm-hmm. That hurts me. Yeah. So that's what I mean by a socialist 
mindset like, oh, well, it'll all work out. Oh, what's the big rush? What's the big hurry? No, we got to be on our game. So right. I think if we're both honest with ourselves, there'll be new planners that don't make the, the spring season. There's oh. probably going to be some combines that don't make the fall. For sure. So it comes down to relationship building, and hopefully we just understand and we're patient with each other and we'll make it work. But I'm not going to be satisfied to live in this area for a long time. Yeah, no. We're at 360. We've been so fortunate. We have product. Um, we got everything they need. It happened because I got good people. <laughs> My COO uh, a year ago when COVID hit, I told him I said, "Order us two years of everything." And so we're living hand to mouth, but we got it. And you can see the companies that don't. It, it's painful. Mm-hmm. It Work. is. We're kind of in the same boat. We just ordered, ordered, ordered. And I can tell you, when we order something from 360, I am amazed at how fast we get it. Yeah. I haven't had a single yeah. phone call saying that you're out to wait. No. So far, we're not out of anything. And it just, I'm not saying that we're not living some of our supply chain is on certain items or just in the nick of time. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, we're a week from running out, and here it comes. And so we've been really fortunate. Um, so I think of all companies, we'll, all companies want to be that way, and we'll, we'll get it figured out. Uh, I, I look at the difference, and here I can just see it. I have guys call me up, so let's just take the 360 rain, for example. Obviously, there's not a lot of them out right now. So I have guys on calling me and saying, if I bring you cash. I had a guy from Texas call say, I'm coming up into Illinois. Can I stop? I got cash with me i'm going to give you cash will you get me a rain unit for this year mm-hmm. and i smile and i say no i'm sorry that's not how it works but what i'm hearing is guys saying we get it we're going to have to start ordering stuff for 24 yeah and we'll put money down to hold our slot yeah and so guys are quick to adapt now i wish it wasn't that way but i can tell you the guys that are coming in our booth this week and they're ordering rain units for 24, and they're serious about it, they're going to be the first ones that get them. Mm-hmm. And so we've kind of trained ourselves. You know, um, <laughs> I ordered a new manure spreader for the dairy, and, and uh, we got it there just in the nick of time in their production lineup, and supposedly I'm going to get the last one they build, and hopefully it'll be here this fall. We'll see. <laughs> but <laughs> isn't that interesting? And that's just the way it is. Our grain carts, you know, we called up and ordered two new grain carts, and they just said, well, you're the last two we're going to build. You know, and that's in the fall. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so it's scary. Um, so we'll see. Um, we're just training ourselves to order quicker sooner. <laughs> right. Well, I think the e-speed thinkers are the ones that are going to be thinking ahead. And I can see those farmers. They're calling us earlier, yeah. Yeah. looking into fall. Yeah. And, and yeah, I got filters and uh, oil all in for everything that we own, including our gen sets for two years. I just told our guys, we just got to get it on hand. Yeah. Because you being in a position we are we talk to suppliers every day you just realize that things run out shouldn't be but they do right and you can't explain it you know and i heard that uh, there was no more graphite for our molds for building our polymers i'm like seriously i know where the graphite comes from it goes those it's an amish group i said they're working how can we be out of graphite but you realize if all of us just order one more gaylord of graphite Right. You understand what that does to the supply chain? Yeah. They're not, if everyone doubles their orders, which we did immediately, yeah. <laughs> that just means everybody's out. 
Right. Mm -hmm. And so in the perfect world, you'd like to say, well, not everybody should buy that much toilet paper, but that's just what happens. <laughs> right. You know, I don't know why, but it's just the way it is. So I can't explain it, but it, uh, <laughs> I, I marvel. Yeah. What, what product are you proudest of going back from precision all the way to today? Oh, boy. Um, or the one that maybe challenged you the most and, and you came through on the end and it today it's just a rock star almost like the one that he got the most satisfactory out of yeah yeah i don't know if i can I'm probably would be wrong i mean tim will hear this podcast so she can say that, Dad, I'm really thinking. this is off the cuff you know the ipad of field view probably changed my world more than anything i'll never forget early days so I'm running this goofy 1790 bean planter, corn planter, and I never did like that planter. It's so heavy and yeah. just a crazy planter and the 16 row. And I had an engineer come out with a black suitcase, poly suitcase, like you'd see in the airport. And it climbed up between the CCS tanks and dropped it down and pulled the 47 pin connector and plugged it in both sides of that box. Come up in the cab of the laptop I had ESET in it, and uh, and the buddy seat riding with me. I know exact. I could show you exactly the field. I was in Werner's field, small field, only 38 acres, planting corn, and uh, I'm still driving at that time. Yep. And I look over, and I'm driving down the mark, and I'm looking over, and I'm starting for the first time in my life seeing singulation, skips, doubles, spreadsheet. It was the first of the first of of the 2020. Seed sense. Wow. And when I saw that, I told my family at night at the supper table, I said, guys, we're going to change the world. When you show real-time data, no one can keep their butt in the seat any longer and say, oh, well, it'll yeah. be all right. Yeah. Well, some could. <laughs> but 99% <laughs> of us are going to get out right. and make whatever we need to do different. So when I saw that, and I'll never forget the first winter conference we showed that, I had built this 70-foot-long sand track with a sandbox. We had a one-row row unit on it in four inches of sand. And I announced we turned all the lights off in the shed, and that thing would run five mile an hour down the track. And we had it all lit up, and I, and I had a tarp behind it. So as it planted, it put a tarp over that track. Okay. We shut the lights down, and that thing come roaring down towards the front stage where I was standing, and it stopped, and everybody was just, there was probably two, 300 guys in the room, and it was stone still. And I said, guys, for the first time, I'm going to show you where every seat is. We left an open trench. And I said, don't, I'm going to show you exactly how that planter did. And so... I had them call out. We had a tape measure and flags, and we left the lights down, and we had a tape measure for light, and I put flags in, and we turned on the lights. And I remember there was a guy sitting back about 30 feet from the track in one of the rows, jumped up and raced to the track <laughs> to look to see where that flag I'd put every, one where every seed was. Mm. And there was a seed there, and he just shook his head and looked at me, and I said, at that time, I said, with this technology... We've now changed the world how planters are. 
Wow. I don't want to pick on deer, but there was a day a, a vice president deer walked in the early days of precision, and he said, really? He said, our planters plant 90%. What is wrong with that? That's good enough. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, sir, the crowd you sell to, you need to understand who your customers are, and I'm that guy. Most of us will never be happy at 90%. You're telling me that 10 out of every 100 seeds are right. okay if they're doubled or gone, skipped? And I'm sure he would probably regret saying it, you know, but I just, I looked at him and said, you and I never think the same. Yeah. And of course, we were an adversary at that time to him. And after I sold Precision, you know, we were invited up and they're good people. I know them all at the top. And they just said, let's never go through an era like that again. We're adversaries. Let's work together. And I said, sure. And so that's why you see deer dealers selling wide drops and, and chain rolls. And you say, well, wait a minute, deer sells chain rolls and, and they sell stock rolls what you know intermeshing and oppose what are they doing and right. it's just they said we're going to work together versus being separate mm -hmm. and it's been really good nice i really have a lot of respect for them um i get excited when i get to walk in up at moline and and meet those guys and we sit together for meetings and you know they called us up and we talked about rain you know they're just curious you know what what are you thinking what are you doing you know Wonder about the autonomous side of it. Of course, obviously, they've announced autonomous tractor. So so there's just a lot of fun you just meet. I would say this, and I hope it doesn't sound arrogant. In the ag world, the real inventors, there's probably, oh, man, it's a shot in the dark, 25 to 50 people worldwide that are truly shakers and movers and new inventors. And the rest are just seeing it for the first time and then they kind of improve the mousetrap yeah but there's some and i can name them i mean there's just some people in germany that i know first i mean those people are truly out of the box thinkers saying what are the next steps for agriculture and it's fun so you get to meet them and you kind of get to know them so there's a whole group of us that uh, talk of each other now we don't tell each other what we're doing but we have a lot of respect for each other that's neat so. that's neat a big part of what everyone does is the people that you get to do it with. Oh, absolutely. And uh, Well, look at the grower groups. You know, look at growers that get over being competitive with each other. Yes, a farm sale is a painful thing. I well understand when the next 80 next to you comes up for sale and there's three young guys that are all from 25 to 35 that want it. I, I hate that environment for them, and I hope they'll all be friends at the end. But you'll quickly find... The groups that go far and fast are the ones that share. Yeah. They don't view each other as competitors. Now, I know they might bid against each other for a rent sometimes. Right. It's part of it. But at the same time, when your combine breaks down, they're the first ones there with another machine to help you. Yeah. Whatever you need. Hey, we're done. I got hours left. Yep. Here, use it for a day till yours gets back from the deer dealer or whatever. Um, those groups I watch with interest. And some states have more of that than others. It just depends where you're at, what region. Uh, Kentucky has a group that are really tight. And, man, they help each other every step. Where they share data. I paid this much for this chemical. I got my seed bought for this, and they buy and they get it. So I watch it with interest. Um, so, and I'm fortunate, I know so many people nationwide and they're willing to share big concepts and ideas. I always gain more knowledge at a show like this this week than I'll ever give. Oh, mm -hmm. yes. It's just, let's be honest about it. Yes. There's some really smart growers. 
and they're willing to share and they say, Greg, this is what I'm doing and it works. Yes. I take it home and I incorporate it. Yes. It's so fun to have the growers, they come to you, you get to have the conversation and at the end of the day, you're like, I learned so much today. Yeah. Yeah. It's. So it's, uh, it's all part of it. Uh, so I don't know if I answered that right or not. Um, Wow. I can only imagine the first time when you've taken everything that you've worked for and now you can see it digitally live yeah. in the cab. I can only imagine. It, and it helped a lot. Um, like I told you, this 360 rain, I, I think it's going to change dramatically how we farm. I think it's about taking yield to another spot without breaking the bank on writing checks. And so we'll see. What, um, what part did Y-Drop itself serve in bringing the rain? Oh, huge. Yeah. Oh, without question. Um, Y-Drop was that step that after we saw the kind of yield response, water, well, we've always said, I always told Tim, the minute we left Precision, I told Tim, I remember it, I said, we're going to reinvent irrigation someday. Well, I didn't actually know what that meant, but I said it, you know. Right. Um, you make a lot of crazy statements as a dad. Um, and I believe we have. Uh, and whenever we get into something, we say, what can we solve? Now, pivots work. Let's not underestimate what a pivot's value is. The problem of pivot is you need X amount of gallons per minute, and you need a field that's friendly and conducive to a circle. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, in Illinois, we have a lot of those fields, but let's be honest, there's still a lot of fields that that's super potential for crops that need water, but they don't fit. Yeah. Right. Or you'd have to put so many little systems in it, it would just be prohibitive in cost. Mm -hmm. So the first thing we said is that we got to design a system that fit any shape of field no matter what, no matter what kind of gallons they can get, and it's got to be able to help manure management because manure is the answer to our fertilization costs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're way underutilizing the potential of livestock manure. And so, and the regulation, every spotlight in the nation is on regulation of manure. Yeah. We are under the gun. So we, we have finished buildings and we got a dairy. And so we understand the value. And uh, I wish every acre I had could have manure. Now, obviously that's not possible. So. Those are things that we said, let's start out and fix. It's autonomous because it has to be. No one's going to be able to put a young man on to run this irrigation system seven hours, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. That's right. at 0.4 mile an hour, really. Right. They fall asleep. So <laughs> it's like running a drag line for manure in the fall, you know. Yeah. So nobody wants that job. So we said, well, we got to invent autonomous. And so we got our own RTK system. I got our own base station in the field. But... Basically, it's just simple. Wherever your planter plants is where we go. You said, well, Greg, we come up to a windmill, and we went around to the left. Well, guess what? The rain's going to come up the windmill and go around to the left. So it's going to follow the exact path. So if you can plant it, we can water it. Uh, do you need, you know, 500, 800,000 gallon a minute? No. If you had 150 gallon a minute, we can do it. You say, well, Greg, we can't get in Iowa. We can't get 10 gallon a minute. No problem. If you have a surface pond, we'll pump out of it. If you have a creek, a river, a hog pit, a dairy pit. And so all those things open up a tremendous opportunity. Is it 50 bushel an acre real? Yeah. And I've not had any farmers walk up to me and say, Greg, you're in sales. 
that's an artificial number you're grabbing out of the air because every one of us at farm knows the value of a rainstorm and we need it the worst. Right. How many times have a guy come in the store to you, Adam, and say, Adam, last night that was a million-dollar rain. You ever heard that? Right. Absolutely. Yep. You hear it all the time. Man, guys, we had a million-dollar rain last night. It's the 5th of July. Last night the fireworks, right after the fireworks, it rained an inch, and they'll yep. come in and say, we had a million-dollar rain last night. What are they really saying? We just gave the crop the chance to maximize its potential. Yep. Well, now we can do that mm-hmm. every day. Right. So once a week we're putting out a half inch. And uh, so I get really fired up about it, and uh, we'll see. Uh, so it's, uh, what other questions might you have? Um, you know, we, we've talked a lot of product in the background. Um, where, where do you see the future of 360? I mean, um, a- after Greg Souter, of course, you've got plenty of family members and, and what products are coming down the line and, and what succession look like? Well, obviously the pipeline's always full of the weird, unusual, and the craziness, and it starts there. And we'll tell Cindy, Tim, and I will come home, or we'll do it at, how, at the farm home, and we'll tell her idea, and she'll laugh. And she doesn't doubt. She encourages us. But uh, she'll say, boy, that's out there. And I say, well, it is on the whiteboard, but we got to refine it and bring it into scope. So there's probably two really super crazy ideas that we're just starting to work on. Yeah. Um, will we get there? I don't know. Um, I'll tell you, yes, my family, um, they have a drive that's unique. So we'll see. So it's I by far pulling back more uh still the face of the company obviously and i present and we work crazy hours um people say well, after you sold precision you know why didn't you just go to the beach <laughs> they don't understand as a farmer i mean here we dairy so i mean on sunday morning it's you know 6 30 i'm chorn and i know all the guys my age before church are probably looking at the paper looking on the internet and having a cup of coffee and i'm out it's stinking cold and i'm fighting waters and driving a gator around if I don't know how many buckets of feed in the back and I'm feeding heifers and and I'm like why and then you look at your family and you say well that's just what we do so I'm a different culture I just love to work yeah and so we work all the time and if I'm not we weren't doing livestock we'd be doing something else so it's just who we are so I don't plan on retiring um my dad's 94 just now went into a to a, a home you know uh, he told me the other day, man, what I would give if I was 10 years younger to be down at Louisville with you. And so <laughs> it's probably in our genes and our heritage. But uh, so the boys are taking a tremendous stride in, in helping us position for the future. You know, they're in the right roles. They're either on the farming side or the dairy side or they're in the, in the 360. And uh, we'll continue to hire young people. Um, boy, there's just some really good young people we got on the team. And so 360 is in a really good place. Yeah. You know, if the Lord took Greg home tomorrow, it it's not going to stop. So yeah. that's what you do as a family business. You try to position it so you have the right right team members in the right spots. And I'm sure it's no different. I, I don't know you folks very well, but I'm sure you might have a dad and uncle yep. that work. And I'm, is there some other brothers of yours? Uh, dad and his three brothers. Okay. Yeah. So that's – and look, I can just – I shouldn't judge people, but I just watch you as you're interviewing me and watch Cody next to you, and I just I watch you young guys, and I'm like, okay, this business, fitting equipment is going to go a long ways. Yeah. Of course, I've known of you for years. You've yeah. been tremendous for us. 
no doubt about it, dealers. So it just it's just fun to watch. Yeah. And I'm going to assume that you might have some young kids someday that are going to have the same interests that are probably playing with John Deere tractors now in the carpeting. <laughs> and uh, someday they're going to be fixing stuff and hiring and right. working in the business. That's just right. what it does. Mm-hmm. Yep. Multi-generational. That's right. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. You know, farming is probably the one business that has multiple generations of success. By the time you get to the third generation of successful ag businesses and businesses in general, it falls apart. And it's because of work ethic and how we raise our kids. And so Sydney and I for years have watched other businesses and we've said, are they in the third and fourth generation? Okay, what did they do that's unique? How did they sustain? How did they keep it going at a fever pitch with that kind of energy? And so when we find those, we kindly ask questions of them. And usually what you find, there's a mom in the background that's the glue that holds it together. Yeah. So there's Sunday night dinners. There's Christmases and Thanksgivings, even multi-generation. So when Cindy and I have Christmas, there's 65 probably on the Souter side and probably 48 on the Dill side, and they all come to our home. And so wow. now there's three, four generations that are all from babies. Uh, and that's what makes families strong. And so we all know each other, and we hire them, and we support them. And so I've just watched, and you just take the Beck seed to be a prime example. Yeah. Sonny and Scott Beck. Well, I got news for you. Sonny's wife, I used to watch her behind the scenes at the Farm Progress Show in Indiana. That's back in the days when the Farm Progress Show traveled. And Cindy and I would take time from our booth, Precision Planning, to go down and watch her. And she was making it happen. Now, Sonny and Scott and the whole family are tremendous people, don't get me wrong. But let's just be honest. John Kenzaball, yeah, his wife behind the scenes, making it happen, Marcia. And, and you just watch that. So... Um, for all you young farm guys out there, marry well. I got news for you. You get the right girl. She'll make things happen. Now, let me tell you, when it's 5 in the morning, she'll kick your butt out and get you going when it's cold and keep you going. So, uh, Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, good. I, I don't have much else. That that was a, a lot to gather. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm ashamed of probably what I said wrong or shouldn't have said. I uh, don't know. Hopefully they'll... They'll realize I just found out at noon for, I guess, technically last night, John texted me and said, hey, Adam's coming in, wants to do something on a podcast. I never thought about the day till you walked in. So off the cuff, hopefully it, uh, my only hope is can it better somebody, take something from it. Right. Um, you know, can you take your own business and take the next step? That would be great. Right. No matter the business. No matter what the business is. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I'll have to be... On us farming, uh, I'm pretty, pretty much uh, enjoy farmers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's what we like to be in agriculture. I th- I think it's the future. I mean, food controls the world. Yeah. Um, the next step, where there'll be the most tension, will be water. Uh, I've seen it coming. You know, we own Texas farms, and yep. uh, we're we're regulated heavily down there. Yeah. So if you want to know where the future is in the next 20 years, it's water. Mm. It's going to be, and it's going to be painful. I see. Um, 
and as an agriculture farm family community, we have very little voice. So we'll just be wise about it, be selective. When we buy a farm today, the first question we ask ourselves around the kitchen table, does it have water under it? And if it does, is it regulated? Can we get to it? That and can we tile it? Hmm. Those two things. Two most important things to do. A lot of young farmers are listening to this do not need another farm. They need to improve the farm they're on. Right. So instead of trying to buy the next 60 acres, yeah. put pattern tiling in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tile. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'd highly recommend that. I'm not sure you need more ground. I think you need a better farm. Yeah. So what does it take to do that? Well, it takes a new planner. Well, then let's buy it. Well, you don't understand, Greg. The banker's not going to loan it. Well, then let me come in and sit with you. And right. We'll show the banker why you need to have the new planner. We can't give up 20 bushel yeah. and $5 corn. $100 an acre and it's a 1,500-acre farm. You know, come on. You're talking big money. Let's let's get it right. And so it uh, that that's where it's at. And so we'll, we'll just see. Yeah. I'm probably wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited for the show. Of course, it got canceled last year, and I'm, yeah. I'm just so excited for tomorrow morning to, to meet the farmers and, and make it through the week. And uh, so, so many good stories are coming down the road this week and, and a lot of learning opportunities. So, Greg, I thank you for the time today. Well, and I'm honored you come in and sit with us. So well, best of luck to both of you, and I hope your family business just goes to the top. Uh, and I know it's already that way, but it could even get better yet. Well, we yeah. try. We push mm-hmm. the, uh, we do a lot of the Y drops and uh, a lot of other three. I appreciate products. that very much. And mm-hmm. we got some good equipment, and uh, so it'll go well for you. Yep, absolutely. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to the Talk and Shed podcast, and thank you again, Greg. And uh, that's all we've got for today. Thanks for tuning in. Yep. Thanks, guys.